The death of George Floyd prompted anti-black racism protests, discourse, and calls to action across the world, including in Canada. Systemic racism exists in this country too, after all. And there's no time like the present to address it. And there's no better guest to discuss it with than Marva Wisdom, community leader, consultant, and director of the Black Experience Project. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs and change makers impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Bernbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change Magazine. Be sure to check out the audiobook version of my book, also titled In the Business of Change, profiling social entrepreneurs around the world, with me as your narrator. You can find it wherever you normally buy your books and audiobooks, including Amazon or on our website. On today's episode, we speak with Marva Wisdom. A leader with a passion for inclusivity and social justice, Marva is the director of the Black Experience Project, a seven-year research study of the lived experiences of the Black community in Toronto. In our conversation, Marva shares the findings of that study and what it says about the state of anti-Black racism in Canada. We explore some possible steps forward, including the defunding of police, an idea some have been proposing. Marva then explains how allyship, commitment to action, and conversations like these give her hope for the future. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I know that you two are very busy and to take the time out to hear and especially to look at social justice issues and, um, and, and the work that you have done with social entrepreneurship and to really just, just look at it more broadly and how it impacts, um, individuals, especially those who are underserved and, and face, um, issues of discrimination, racism. It's really important. And one of you, the last question you asked me, which is, I'm going to go to that where you talked about, um, what gives me hope. And it's an opportunity like this that gives me hope. It's the allyship uh, through this process that gives me hope. Uh, because when I started out uh, along this journey, it was a very, very personal journey. I think my journey probably started when I was 14 years old, arriving in Canada and, and living in rural uh, on southwestern Ontario and recognizing that I am the only one, um, my siblings, of course, and there might have been one or two families scattered here and there, but I was very much a curiosity. So for me, um, school was difficult because I wanted to get along with everybody so that I can be liked. Uh, people really like to just play with my Afro and I just sort of closed my eyes and wanted to scream, but I wanted <laughs> to get along with everybody so much yeah. that I just let it go. And, and I think throughout my life for a very long time, I just sort of let things go so that people could see that I am not a threat. And that black people are, want the same things and, and want to get along with everyone else. So that burden as a teenager, that's very heavy when I think that other teenagers, that my children have also been carrying that. So all of that throughout my high school, even my church, everything else, 
all of that sort of led me in adult life. I found those experiences continued, although they took different shapes and different forms, right. many times more microaggressive, sometimes more overt. So as I got older in my career, I realized that things weren't changing very much. Hence, I decided that I'm going to go off on my own and I'm going to start a company that focuses on working with organizations, individuals and groups to help them understand what inclusion is. And that was long, long time ago, what diversity means and that it is our strength. And also um, of more recent, the last probably five years or so, delving into uh, the term belonging. And so that is part of my journey, whether I was a volunteer or or whether I was um, working in, in my vocation. Okay, great. And so, and then specifically, um, I was looking at some of your work in the Black Experience Project, for example. Yes. How did that come about and what, what is that about? That was really interesting. So when I talked about um, part of uh, my journey, and a part of my journey was also giving back. As an immigrant person, I really wanted to give back. I wanted to learn. And so I was a, a member of the board of directors for a, a, an organization called Canadian Center for Diversity. Now, it was a board of people who were well-heeled, connected, and people who didn't necessarily look like me. And it was there that I met Michael Adams was doing a presentation of Enveronics Institute on immigrants and what they bring to Canada and and how they add to the community. He was so respectful in his presentations, even if he was talking about something that may be perceived as, you know, uh, you know, how Canadians feel, not as positively. He presented it in such a way I thought, I would like to meet this person and have a, a conversation with him. I gave him my card. A few months later, he, his office called me up and said they just finished a research project called the Urban Aboriginal People Study. It's looking at the Aboriginal population across Canada and looking at the challenges and the opportunities that were there. And he's thinking that there's not a study out there on the black community and and the rest became history. And so what was the focus of the Black Experience Project and what are some of the things, that, the outcomes and the findings that you Absolutely. That well, first, firstly, the study itself, um, there are studies about the black community, but often it, it is without the black community. So with the black community as the subject or the object of the study. So and and a reaction to something negative, whether within schools or something happening, you know, you know, through 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 the government. And often the study is not accessible. So we wanted to have a study about the community with the community and one person in the study put it very plainly that was in very very early days what we wanted to do to ensure that the community um that they were not only a part of this but it's something that they wanted and it's something that was being done from the ground up and that it was going to be fully accessible so someone said uh, no study about us without us and I always remember that. Mm -hmm. And so this was intended to look at lived experiences and look at the assets of the community. And at a higher level, I, I can share a few of the themes that came out of this. Um, one of the things are, are, are young people uh, feel that racism is worse off now uh, than it was in the earlier days. 
the older population in their 60s retired, things slightly better, think that things are getting a little bit better. And for us, the heartbreaking piece is a lot of these young people are born in Canada with an expectation of what Canada is and what Canada can offer. And for them to feel that things are getting worse, mm -hmm. um, that is something that should be a call to action for everyone. The other piece is what we have seen in the media lately is around policing. Two-thirds of Black residents reported feeling treated unfairly, but three in five young Black men said they were frequently stopped and um, looked at in a suspicious way, and eight out of ten Black males between the ages of 25 to 44 said they were stopped by the police. Eight out of ten. And and that is huge when you think about a population um, like ours. And so those are some of the statistics that surfaced. Um, we talked a lot as well about microaggression, we, uh, about schools and the education system and what can be done there and about workplaces. It's a comprehensive study of about 1,200 um, individuals, two hours uh, worth of interviews, and about 250 questions were asked. So very significant, and it took about seven years uh, from start. Wow. until the study release. So very comprehensive and very much available at theblackexperienceproject.ca. Perfect. And so when was it published? How long ago? It was published in 2017, okay. November. Mm -hmm. So, and, and obviously very relevant today. We're talking about George Floyd. We're prompted us here in Canada as well to ask a lot of very important questions, very relevant questions, bringing up this, would those studies be even more, um, you know, compelling today? more relevant today than ever and what the the things that uh, one one of the things that has come out of this is that even more people are are going to the study for their statistics and another part of what has come out of that are other studies so the intention was not that that was going to provide all the answers or give you all the data and information that you needed. What it was saying to, whether it be um, someone in the scholarly field or businesses or organizations or governments, is that we need to delve deeper in some of these areas around education and mental health. Um, one of some areas that we weren't able to go as deep as we would have liked to, so the LGBTQI community, the intersectionality of, um, of issues that might come up and continue to come up. So it has allowed uh, and provided an, an inroad uh, for us to move forward in gathering more data and to take action because there are lots of suggestions and ideas on how we take action around um, and systemic racism. Which brings me to the next question. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of suggestions and thoughts as to, you know, what type of action. Because, you know, it's one thing to talk and to talk. And we do a lot of that sometimes. But yes. the action, the action sometimes um, is where we're, we lack a little bit in society. And so to make that change, to actually target and tackle this, the root, the systemic roots of these issues, um, have, have you or... or folks that you've worked with, have you come across with, with maybe some of the top actions that you think are necessary? Um, hmm. I know we do, we, I did sort of tap into a little bit of before a conversation about, you know, defunding the police has been on people's minds. It's so, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw that at you too. Is that one of the yes. things or, or what do you, yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but 
Yes. Absolutely. So let me just uh, refer to a couple of studies. You asked what came out of this, and I think I need to to just reference them so that your your, uh, audience has that. Uh, The Canadian Race Relations Study, another study by Enveronics, came out last November, and that one takes a look at um, the, the BIPOC community, so a black, indigenous, um, some people of color, so Chinese and South Asians particularly, and look at their experiences. And indigenous people and black people, uh, uh, 53% indigenous, 54% indigenous, uh, speaks about their daily, um, daily discriminatory practices by others against them. And so that's important. And um, Dr. Carl James also came up with a study around education, again, building on some of um, Black Experience study, and he was part of our research team, uh, called Toward Equity in Education. So these are our studies uh, that provide a lot of tools in how we go forward. I believe that the allyship that we're seeing now and individuals actually asking, how can I help? And what are some strategies that I need? And what can I read? And how can I um, raise my awareness? That has gone much farther than than anything that I have seen in my 30 years of working in this field. And so uh, to not be a bystander, to really ensure that you are learning and to ask questions and to listen and make space for stories and call people out when they behave badly. Uh, your employer, I would imagine that any employer now that uh, says that uh, systemic racism doesn't exist, it's someone that you can say, excuse me, but it does exist. Right. Absolutely. And to get to the to the systemic roots of these issues, is there yes. education? Is that a big part, perhaps, of what you think is, is essential? I mean, is there anything that we can do? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I would say seek out the black organizations in your area. Uh, just You just have to Google and find out um, what some of these organizations are doing and where you align, where your values and your interests align and work on supporting them. Because one of the things that we don't necessarily have uh, sometimes are organizations that support um, issues that impact our community. And I'm going to say indigenous communities as well may not have necessarily that uh, I'm going to see that historical um, generational funding. And so it finds itself in, in a precarious position to cut services uh, when, it, when, when things get tough. And that is when you need to have more services. Uh, vote. Talk to your politicians. Determine who you are going to select and elect as your leader and how they look at these kinds of issues. Make sure that they are authentic and that they are willing to, to speak directly to issues of systemic racism. Learn the difference between systemic racism, interpersonal racism, and microaggression. All of the different terms are important terms. Um, in the media, you've heard, for example, the RCMP um, uh, deputy chief saying that there is, she doesn't believe that there's systemic racism. I think she was probably thinking about Interpersonal racism, people become very defensive and think that if they say they're systemic racism, it means that they're racist and it means that they are sort of less than. It just means that we are built on a colonial system and it makes sense that on a colonial system, if changes are not happening as society evolves, we're going to still be thinking and doing things 
that supports that system. And that's what systemic racism is. It makes it then easier for behaviors, interpersonal racism, for behaviors to um, to fester, to go unnoticed. And so those individuals who are behaving that way, they have a system that helps to uphold that. And then the change never happens. Right. So how do we learn about these things so that we can move and go forward so that we can learn and teach each other? And folks always talk about training and I hear that a lot. And certainly in my practice, I've often been asked about training and I have done some training myself. But what I found was that training often is just checking a box. And so I'm asking if you are going to do training, make sure that it is something that is ongoing and that it is you're going to go really deep and people are going to be uncomfortable because more often than not, people do not want to feel uncomfortable. And I fully, fully understand that and get a trainer that is compassionate and have great empathy and will help to bring people along and help them to buy in very deeply into why the ch that change is important, why eliminating systemic racism is important to their organization and to them as an individual. That's great. Um, and just to touch upon one more time, the question of um, defunding. I do wonder if some of the systems we have in place need to sort of be reassessed and to see, yes. you know, maybe it could be done better. And, and I, I don't like to disparage general groups. I'm just saying, you know, to ensure yeah. that we keep people in check. It yes. is an interesting, um, you know, suggestion that some have been making. Yes. Perhaps, you know, what, what would you think about that? Do you have any thoughts about yes, that? Yes, I, I, I think about it. And it's, it, it's become... Um, while it's very broad, of course, I'm a black woman. And so it's part of my lived experience as well. I have a son um, who has a, a part of the statistics being stopped by police. He's a businessman and I worry about him. I still worry about him. He's an adult and and going about uh, his, his business. But even in having that conversation with him, uh, I was really quite surprised. He doesn't believe that's a, a good idea. Um, the way it's presented. I don't believe it's a good idea the way it's presented. Well, first of all, uh, police or regular police or regular forces other than provincial police and RCMP are, are funded through uh, the municipality. Right. Have city councilors and you have mayors who are responsible for police budget for setting that budget. And when I imagine that there are many police officers, uh, not imagine, there are police officers uh, that are doing a great job and police leaders who want change to happen. When we just go ahead and arbitrarily defund without having that dialogue and, and, and taking a look at what the next steps might be and having those conversations, um, I, I'm going to say, some openly and some behind closed doors. Sometimes right. you have to call people out behind closed doors. Uh, and sometimes, and if that doesn't work, then in front, uh, outside of those doors. It's important that it is a collaborative effort. What we're doing now for it to be lasting and for it to be sustainable, it has to be collaborative. And I, I believe as I learn more about what the, the, what those who are, uh, wanting to defund or calling for defunding when I listen to some of the conversations about defunding it's it seemed to me that it's more reallocating resources right. and that I support that there are areas where resources need to be reallocated and policing need to be part of the solution as well right no I hear you and uh that's that's definitely a viewpoint that I'm 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 starting to hear more of as well so it's sort of a a compromise of, of working together collaboratively to figure out you know how to 
improve situation without completely dismantling it at the same time? Would that be okay? That is basically what I wanted to get at. I mean, I and and you already tackled the the last question, which was what gives you hope. If you wanted to say anything else about that, any positive, anything positive at this point, while we're feeling so heavy and negative and and things are so serious, is always nice to hear. But we have to be also seriously discuss the challenges and and and. So, um, yeah, I mean, anything else you wanted to say about it, by all means? Um, it, it's really, really exciting. There's some ladies that are friends of mine and, and some who have investments in different companies. And to hear them talk about, I want to relook at my investment in companies that where their board or their organizations do not reflect society or the community, or they have practices in place that doesn't um, tackle uh, systemic racism, if anything, it upholds that. And I need to start looking at other organizations um, that would, uh, that, that where my money can be better served. And to hear that, that kind of value added to the work that is being done now is very buoying and very hopeful. Um, it's providing an opportunity for sustainability of the work that we have to do. And when I look at my granddaughter, who's 22 months old, and she says, oh, nanny, <laughs> that gives me hope and say that the world as we know it is changing so rapidly that it will very likely change for her. I thought it would have changed for my son, but now I think it's going to change for her. So that gives me hope of this wonderful allyship and, and the black community and, and indigenous and other communities coming together. So it gives me hope. Good, good. I'm glad. And I, and what gives me hope is that we have more of these conversations, which is, uh, which is wonderful, and I and I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about this. Thank you, Lisa. I hope that we can talk again as we go forward um, and as we make progress. This was really wonderful. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.